Thank you for calling Gaywire. Your call is very important to us. Press 1 for fourth wave feminism. Press 2 for a strangely in-depth discussion about where the worms have gone. Press 3 for... You have chosen option 3. Please stay on the line. Please stay on the line. Choosing option three. You've reached Gaywire, and I'm your host, Terence Adams. My pronouns are they and he. Thank you also for tuning into CJSR 88.5 FM on Treaty 6 territory and Region 4 of the Metis Nation of Alberta. This week, we're reaching into the CJSR archives with an interview from Charlotte Mitchell and Andrea Alvarez with Damien, a Mouche's person, commonly or colonially known as Mexico's third gender. But before we get into that, some semi-usual announcements, the first of which is to donate to the community fridge. It is located outside of the Earth's general store on White, and they take vegan donations. Check out their Instagram at communityfridge.yeg for more info. Our second announcement is a reminder that Q Lawrence is raising money for a wheelchair. Q is a community activist in so-called Chilliwack, BC, and is involved in disability justice fights across the country. I interviewed Q a while back, and you can listen to that interview by searching up Gaywire CJSR wherever you get your podcasts. The links to donate for Q's wheelchair can be found in their bio, at Q just the letter on Instagram. And finally, Gaywire is looking for new team members. Do you like radio? Are you passionate about sharing stories that haven't been shared? Do you want to curate queer playlists to share with the airwaves? If so, reach out. Our Instagram is at GaywireCJSR. Alright, so now that we've got those announcements out of the way, it's time to hear from Charlotte Mitchell and Andrea Alvarez.
everyone. Welcome to our podcast and thank you so much for joining us. My name is Charlotte Mitchell. I am originally from Calgary, Alberta and currently a master's student at the University of Alberta in the Gender and Social Justice program. Hi everyone, my name is Andrea Alvarez. I'm originally from Querétaro, Mexico and like Charlotte, I'm in the Gender and Social Justice program. In our program, we have had the opportunity to learn a lot about settler colonialism and decolonization in the Canadian context, while understanding that settler colonialism and movements towards decolonization are not confined to Canada and by no means equal. So, we wanted to explore representations and narratives of indigeneity in Mexico, in particular those whose very existence is challenging colonial structures such as the gender binary. We wanted to open a space for conversations with voices that are often invisibilized. I first learned of Mushes when Estrella Vasquez, a 37-year-old indigenous weaver and designer from Oaxaca, Mexico, was featured in the cover of Vogue in December 2019. As a queer person, I am really passionate about queer, trans, and non-binary identity and representations, and I really wanted to learn more about them. Mushes, or who are more commonly known as Mexico's third gender, come from the indigenous Zapotec culture in the Oaxaca region of Mexico. While Western and colonial projects, both in Canada, Mexico, and elsewhere, put forward the belief that gender should be viewed in the binary male and female, we know that this is not true now and hasn't always been true in the past either. In order to understand mushes, we should first understand Zapotec culture and tradition. In Zapotec, as in English, there are no grammatical or gendered nouns, as we see in Spanish or French, for example. There is only one way to identify all people. Historically, the mushes were never forced to categorize themselves through language as either male or female. They were just mushes. In traditional Zapotec society, the man of the family is either a fisherman or farmer, and spends a lot of his days either at sea or in the fields. The women of the family are delegated to the market, selling food from the sea or farm and handmade goods. This, however, does not leave anyone at home to look after the home or younger children. In traditional Zapotec culture, this is where the role of the mouche becomes important. From some of the articles we have read regarding mouches, we have found that it can be considered a blessing for a mother to have a mouche child that will be able to help with the housework and looking after their younger siblings. They are traditionally delegated to the private sphere. It is also interesting to note that mouches are traditionally not allowed to have a long-term relationship, get married, or leave the family home. This is so they can stay home with their mothers when they get old and take care of them. While these stories from magazines, articles, and books paint a very pretty picture of mouches, we noticed that these portrayals of mouche dead were often homogenous and one-sided. Were mouches always accepted, even in their own communities? Are there mouches outside of Oaxaca? What are the daily and structural challenges mouches experience? And how are these struggles overcome? These were all questions we had when reading the articles and books about mouches, so we decided to gain some first-hand knowledge for ourselves. We come here today to share Gerardo Medina Damián's story, who identifies as mouche and is from the indigenous Zapotec culture of Oaxaca. Gerardo Medina Damián, or who we will be referring to as Damián, moving forward, uses both him or her pronouns interchangeably, or as we say in Spanish, él y ella, and are also comfortable with they or just their name, Damian. Through this podcast, we will be referring to Damian by all of the above. 
I started following Damian after they posted in an LGBT plus Facebook group in Mexico. They were advertising their textiles and asked the group to follow them on Instagram. I was instantly drawn to their account because they post beautiful photographs of their work and themselves. One of Damien's specialties is a rainbow pattern shawl. The shawl's beautiful pattern starts off as red, continuing through the rainbow. In each panel of color are pictures of flora and fauna and symbols characteristic of the region. But Damien's beautiful textiles are much more than just a material product. They are cultural artifacts that are deeply ingrained in Zapotec culture, with strong connections to history, identity, and place. We want to learn with you about what it means to be Muche and learn more about the man's struggles against colonialism and colonial binaries, and how the man's indigeneity and Muche dad challenged the status quo. I am really excited to learn with you all about Damien and Damien's experiences with colonial or post-colonial pressures in Mexico. We also want to be very clear that we're not experts on indigeneity, muchedad, colonial or post-colonialism in Mexico, and so we want to bring in someone with a bit more knowledge and experience working with indigenous communities in Mexico. Katia Salas is currently working on her PhD in legal sciences, has a master's degree in public policies and gender, as well as a law degree. With Katya's experience and extensive knowledge, she helps us contextualize Damien's comments within the wider struggles of Indigenous communities in Mexico. We are including clips of our conversation with Katya and her interpretation of Andrea's interview with Damien. Hi everyone, my name is Katia Salas del Angel. I work with gender. I try to contribute to overcoming barriers, discrimination and violence from the field of law and public policies. It is a pleasure to be able to share with everyone and learn from you guys and from Damian. I'm truly honored to have had the experience to talk to Damian who identifies as uh, Mushe, and I had the most amazing conversation. It blew my mind. They said things that I thought were really beautiful, so we wanted to share some of what he said with you. So let's hear from Damien. I'm 24 years old, and I currently live in Mexico City. I'm a textile artisan and I'm studying communication and culture at the Universidad Autónoma de la Ciudad de México. I'm originally from Oaxaca and this is the place where I grew and developed into different areas and where I also found my identity as Mushe. The voice you have just heard is from Fernando Sanchez, who has graciously translated Damien's voice and stories for us today. We went through many different people and voices to make sure our translations and representations of Damien's voice were as accurate and authentic as possible. Before diving into the concept of Mucheidad, we have to briefly explain Mexico's post-colonial history and the meaning of mestizaje. Prior to Spanish arrival, many indigenous cultures lived in the land now known as Mexico. When the Spanish settled, they colonized the area, bringing with them disease and destruction to many indigenous people. The mestizos were born out of the indigenous and Spanish ancestry, and those roots became one of the dominant populations in Mexico today. 
Please note that this is a very condensed and generalized version of part of Mexico's history. In addition to the destruction, disease, and genocide, the Spanish brought with them the Spanish language and colonial frameworks including the gender binary. However, Katya did a much better job at unpacking this for all of us. First of all, I would like to address the situated knowledge around gender decoloniality. Partly, this means that it must be taken into account that the syncretism between the mestizo state, mestizo state as Western idea, ideas or, you know, hegemonic view of the world and the ancestral people that permeates in Mexico, whom adopted from the West carriers the binarity of gender and we must be careful with expressions like indigenous, gender, or LGBTQA+, because these are Western terms. Instead of translating uh, the terms of ancestral people to Westernity, we must bring our knowledge closer to ancestral knowledge. Listen without trying to put their lives culture and idiosyncrasies in the Western boxes. If they said there are mushes, there are mushes. How do we know which terms respect their dignity? Well, the answer is listening the voice and narrative of them. People often ask how they should refer to me and I answer in whatever way you feel comfortable. But at the end of the day, you can call me by my name. The topic of inclusive language is new to all of us in Mexico, but particularly within indigenous communities because we don't use male or female pronouns and we don't have gendered articles. You are simply the person who lives in this space, in this body. So when you switch to Spanish from the Zapotec, it is a bit harder because you have to add these tags. So when we think about adapting it to our language, it can become confusing. In order to get closer to understand the connotation of what Damian said, we can start with, with their language. The personal pronoun, it's ti, applies to men, to women, and mushes, and also animals, and also things. So ti, it's a pronoun that doesn't condition the gender. No? It's only a way to refer a person thing or an animal. They have this neutral way of expressing themselves about people. This means that the gender of the people is accessory. Huh? Not try to interpret them or to translate, but listening and learning about Zapotec cosmovision no? and gender expression because they don't, they don't see, as I said, in these boxes. They actually are transitioning in these boxes every day. People talk about a third gender, but I, I like to think about it as a third soul, where you're comfortable with yourself and you take something good out of the man and woman and it gives you a certain characteristic, perhaps an essence. I believe that us mushes are essences. 
The common discourse or definition is someone who is neither a man nor a woman, but takes a role of a woman and participates in the community as such. But this concept will depend on each individual's experiences and how they develop. So to me, it's about an essence that you have that will develop in different ways according to your history. There are many types of mushes. Within our communities, we have this notion and connection of nature, spirit, and human beings. It is a way in which we acknowledge existence. In Zapotec, we don't have a term for trans mushers, non-binary mushers, or cross-desert mushers. I would fit into that category, for example. We use terms such as mushe ngui, which is kind of this cross-dressing mushe. Mushe guna is the one that has adopted the feminine aspect completely. There are also mushe women identified with masculinity that also exist, but nobody talks about them. So in a way, this inclusive language has helped us identify other types of essences. There is something good and something bad in it. But the important part is that we don't miss the conversation about the essence. It is perhaps contradictory and difficult to understand, but I think the important part is to acknowledge one's feelings and essence. Ultimately, we can't take mouches outside of their essences and place them into Western or colonial understandings of gender. We need to avoid translating mouche identities into our frameworks or boxes. This is not to say that Zapotec culture did not have their own boxes or roles within society. There were places where mouches are welcome, and there are places where they are less accepted. There are some places where mouches are welcome but some others that are restricted to men, for instance, fishing. Fishermen are always very zealous in that way. It is very unlikely to see a mushe in this space, particularly if this mushe has a feminine aspect. Fishing is the activity of the men, so that leaves mushes to, to the activities of the women. And where can you find women? In the market, in the kitchen preparing snacks or cooking. So mostly you'll find mushes in these places. However, if a mushe is more masculine, presenting, we could use the word gay to help us explain this idea. You might be able to see them doing roles that are traditionally male-dominated, such as fishing. Damiana actually pointed out that we must carefully listen, intently listen to more stories, not just talk to one mushe and think that that's the monolithic version of what mushes are. This is a really important point when we are talking about the impacts of colonialism on indigenous communities and harmful stereotypes that can be used to characterize indigenous folks. Through monolithic portrayals of mouches, we erase their individuality and diversity. This is why it is so important to listen to Damien's stories, as opposed to relying fully on articles and research that may seek to extract and produce a single image of Mouchedad for their own gain. Nowadays, talking about indigenous communities has become some sort of big trend and to some extent it's allowing people to know other realities. But at the same time, it's creating more problems. This sense of pride and acceptance is certainly good, but the spotlight has caused selfishness and envy. It has gotten in the way of sharing and has caused rivalries. Sharing is very important to indigenous people. People are supposed to be committed to their communities and this ego is causing detachment. 
I've seen this happen with the girls that appeared on the cover of Vogue. Before this, we were all willing to help each other, like a sisterhood. And now we're competing against each other to see who gets more attention. So again, there are pros and cons. When we were first doing our research and speaking to Katya, she brought up this notion of romanticizing folklore. This is something that is really important to unpack because, as Damien expressed, this capitalist notion of trendsetting, or this performance for the Western gaze, has really complicated their sense of values and community. When photographers or researchers go into indigenous communities, regardless of their intentions, they inevitably extract an image of Mushedad that they think is most likely to attract attention, that fits their own predispositions. They can leave without any care for the community as a whole and without giving back. We are not problematizing all researchers, photographers, or journalists who want to share Mushe's stories to the world, but want to emphasize the importance of giving back to the community and sharing the whole picture with many essences of Mushe's portrayed. I work with indigenous women and they, they are invisible, you know? They are only visible when a photographer or journalist or an artist come and take a picture and then disappear. Damien had a beautiful analogy about how what is portrayed in the media about mushes is often just surface level. I always like to say that we are like a cake. To the eyes of an outsider or the guests of this party, the cake looks amazing. It's beautifully designed, but when we take a bite, we find out it's not like we expected. I feel like this something is happening nowadays with mushes. Most of the researchers, photographers, people from the magazines only focus or notice the icing, the amazing part. The joy, the party, the clothing, the demeanor. But they haven't dared to ask or notice the history of each one of us, how complicated it has been to unfold because obviously this process carries pain injustice and whatnot. Nobody has focused on what ties Mushes together behind this concept of joy and being with their parents. We don't, we don't know. We don't know anything about the Zapotecs. We don't know anything about Musheidad. Just we are so proud to say that we have the third gender in South Oaxaca and la 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 la, but where are the rights? I mean, they don't have access to, to health care or education. Actually, most of the mushes, they have to quit school because they have to move from their communities. And in other communities, then they are not accepted. So if they want to go to high school, they can't because they need to dress as men. It becomes no surprise that they struggle with acceptance even in their own communities. I feel like we need to address assimilation here because this colonial and western legacies of discrimination and the gender binary permeate through traditional ways of knowing and being, trying to put mushes into boxes that just don't fit. Even Damian expressed feeling this pressure. At first I, I identified as gay inside of the community because mushe within my Zapotec community was something deviant, you know? So it was something that nobody wanted. When someone is born and be begins to develop around 10 years old, 
they don't understand the importance of words. But when you begin to grow and understand their significance, and it becomes more important to you, you start to feel it. So at first, it's like, no, I don't want to identify with that. It's too heavy. I'd rather identify as gay because it is a little bit more accepted. As Damian said, not all of the members of the community are okay with with mushes and mucheidad and also the other things, anything that is not heteronormative. So yes, they have these barriers uh, within the community. Homophobia, transphobia, and overall gendered violence is pervasive throughout Mexico. People like Damien face diverse forms of overlapping discrimination and violence based on their gender identity and expression. The International Trans Fund and their Trans Murder Monitoring Project address the fact that within a time frame of 13 months between 2017 and 2018, a total of 71 trans and gender diverse people were reported murdered in Mexico, with many other cases remaining unreported and unresolved. There is some really important work activists and organizations are doing right now to fight for Mouche rights in Mexico. From the moment when this organization of Mouches called Las Intrépidas Buscadoras del Peligro started fighting for Mouches rights, there has been more acceptance and respect towards Mouches. Not to 100%, but maybe 65%, because at the end of the day, we're still denied certain services for instance, health services, but also a love life and a sex life. So there's a long way to go. But nowadays we can talk about mushes and this word has become something that gives you pride. Not all of the mushes have the fortune to be accepted in their family, in their community. So. It's important to know that for a Muse to be accepted in the community, first they have to be accepted in their family. In a way, it has been accepted and has become something normal because we can re-educate our parents to some extent. I have been myself in each and every aspect. At first it was a bit complicated, but then they have taken the initiative to try to accept rather than being in denial. So our relationship is okay. Whenever I make a wipil or a garment, they are impressed because I put my identity into it. And it's something that I do with a lot of pride. I can say that today they're happy that I'm able to express myself. But there are many stories of mushes that were kicked out of their homes and they don't live with their families anymore. They were rejected. So this is not my case, but there was some resistance at first. Katia brought up some really important points to us about the importance of having parental support and acceptance as a mushe. While Damien's parents were open to being re-educated and came to accept Damien's identity, not all mushes are that fortunate. In fact, many mushes are not accepted by their families and are forced to leave their homes, their families, and their way of life. Many of these mushes move to bigger cities, such as Mexico City, to do sex work. Many mushes find a sense of community here that they couldn't find at home. Even if a mushi is accepted, not all are satisfied by the two options of staying at home or working in the market. So they seek other opportunities. There are also a lot of mushes that dedicate themselves to the nightlife. 
We must also talk about them because at the end of the day, they're not comfortable with these two options. So they search for other alternatives. Here in Mexico City, you can find many mushes that do this. You hear stories about these mushes forming tight knit ship with other mushes and coming back to our community to convince other mushes to join them in the city and work alongside them because in theory life is easier that way. So that tells us that we really have to keep working inside our community for more acceptance to prevent this from happening. Entonces creo que se tiene que trabajar dentro desde la comunidad para que no no suceda tanto esto. So this image that we have of mushes at parties in the magazines, the fascination of mushes by the Western society is again merely superficial because in reality indigenous communities are rendered invisible. They are accepted with the folklore and when they look pretty and you know, the, 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 the market and their products. But beside that, they don't exist. Actually, they, they are like, ugh, people in Mexico, mestizos or Western people is like, ugh. This brings up some really important sentiments here embraced by wider Mexican society regarding mushes. Canadian academic and writer Ronaldo Walcott discusses this idea of performative non-performativity, specifically in discussions around equity, diversity, and inclusion practices. This concept for me is really reminiscent of what both Katia and Damien allude to in regards to the treatment of mouches. The wider culture and beyond are happy to consume mouches at face value and appear that they are accepted from the outside but in reality are not doing anything to fight for Mushe rights or freedoms or access to healthcare or education. We then wanted to ask Damien if they feel welcome within the LGBTQ plus community and if they feel like they fit within this group. I don't identify 100% with the LGBTQ plus community. That's a whole different story that is very difficult to comprehend. Plus, this concept of Mushedad is not one that comes up too often in conversations. People are slowly learning about us. I believe we should address this more so that we can begin to feel welcome. Before reminding the word Mushe and taking pride in that, you can identify it as homosexual. So in sense, we are part of that community, but we must talk about Mushes and the importance of us in the community because many people don't think it's important for the single fact that we are an indigenous community. What Damien says here is really important. We must really begin to think about the work that needs to be done to support Mushes and indigenous communities if we want to become better allies. Could this be done through the inclusion of an M within the LGBTQ acronym, for example? to further inclusion and carve out a space for them within this community? I don't think it's necessary to add more letters. However, we should talk about mushes too, because people are starting to talk about trans childhoods and it's very important. But no one is talking about mushes childhoods. So we need to find the things that we have in common so that we can create the sense of community. A big community where we don't have to divide into letters or categories and where we can share stories and moments. I feel like many people would identify with a story that is similar to mine, 
So it's about sharing instead of putting ourselves into these crates. Let's just have one big space that we can share so people can learn from different stories and become more sensitive to different realities. When we start getting into these categories, it seems to me like a saying, I am a chicken and he is a cat. So we immediately think that we're not alike. We don't realize that both cats and chickens eat. They both sleep. There are things that connect us. We are constantly trying to divide us instead of sharing. This is something that I've been learning with my indigenous knowledge courses here, but it's also really relatable to what Damian is saying too. Katya also had a lot to say about this. I think this is very powerful because also in Western gender expression and identities, we do that a lot. We exclude, no? Oh, no, you're not a lesbian. You're not a good lesbian. You are not a good gay or something like that. And I think it's important to realize that, first of all, we are humans and we have the same necessities as as Damian said, we maybe are sharing most of the things. Katia brought up some really important questions we should be asking, not only in regards to Mouche rights, but rights for the LGBTQ plus community in Mexico as well. Are, are there freedom, security and equality for Mouches, both in their community and in mestizo public spaces? I mean, we don't have it but we don't know if they have it. Do they have legal certainties, uh, such as change their identity or both in name and gender? We don't have that in Mexico. Well, in some states, but we don't have it. And I think they don't have it too. And also, do they have equal opportunity for their free development of personality, to study, to start a family, to work? Do they have the same opportunities as we have? In most of the cases, neither Mushes nor other members of the LGBTQ community have these rights. As scholars, Yves Tak and Wayne Yang discuss, we must find the inner angles to work towards justice for all. Instead of trying to frame or colonize mushes into our boxes, we should start questioning if our boxes work for us, because it seems like they don't. To me, this is really reminiscent of Kimberly Crenshaw's theory of intersectionality, too, that posits that oppression and discrimination are experienced on multiple vectors, not just because of your ethnicity or your gender, but how these two, as well as other aspects of your identity, intersect. The danger of essentializing Mouche dead is to ignore these intersections. In addition to using this lens of intersectionality to understand Mouche dead, we cannot be truly intersectional if we are not looking into different stories and not trying to get a fuller and more inclusive understanding of what it means to be Mouche. And one of the ways that we can gain a more inclusive and rich understanding of Mushes is to listen to them. I think it would be important to start looking into other stories, ask questions of more mushes because each one of us has a completely different story. It would be interesting if you could talk to other mushes that have suffered violence and can talk about that and understand more nuisance. I believe it is also very important to highlight the stories of the dead mushes because to this day many of those cases are closed but remain unanswered. 
we don't know who murdered them. There is still a lot of work to do and I'm glad that people are starting to address these topics because this widens our scope and thus we can begin to ch share and understand more stories. Damien has provided us with some truly insightful and amazing discussion on what Muchedad is and what it means to be Muche in Mexico. We also want to reiterate something that Damien expressed to us. There's a lot of work that needs to be done to challenge this monolithic view of Muches, and this can be done by sharing stories of Muchedad that don't necessarily fit into this romanticized version that permeates Western media. If you want to hear more from Damien, as well as see some of their beautiful textiles, please check out their Instagram. You can find them under D-A-M-I-S-E-N. We want to express our sincere gratitude to Damien for sharing their stories, and a big thanks to Katia Salas for helping us unpack what Damien shared and contextualizing Mushaydev within the larger Mexican and colonial context. She really helped inform a lot of what we shared with you today and was a great resource for us. And thank you for listening. just heard Andrea Alvarez and Charlotte Mitchell speaking with Damien about challenging colonialism through gender identity and expression. Thanks so much for tuning into Gaywire on CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory and in Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta. Next up, it's time to hear from our very own Chenille Ranasinga with another homotextual segment. Hello, and welcome to the next installment of Homotextuals. I'm your magical host, Chenille Ranasinga, a part of the Gaywire team. Here on CGSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton, situated on Treaty 6 territory. First, the usual disclaimers. I am a cisgender, gay ace man of color with my own set of experiences. Therefore, my reviews are influenced and limited to those experiences. Next, I will frequently refer to the LGBTQ2S plus community using the word queer as a catch-all term or for characters whose sexualities are expressed as not straight. I'm aware that the word has been used as a slur in the past with attempts to reclaim it in the present and may evoke mixed feelings. So if this is offensive or triggering for you, you have been warned. With that out of the way, let's get to it.
Today we have Will Grayson, Will Grayson by John Green and David Leviathan. This is a YA romantic comedy with a character or characters who are gay. Trigger warnings include mental health issues, homophobia, and fatphobia. This is the story of when Will Grayson met Will Grayson, two boys with the exact same name in different circumstances. With help from each other, they hope to overcome everything the world throws at them, from romantic entanglements to helping with the upcoming musical. All this with the help of Will Grayson's friend Tiny, the linebacker and lead in said school musical. No, not that Will Grayson, the other Will Grayson. While for me, this book is a slice of teenhood when you couldn't enter a bookstore without seeing a John Green book, this style may be unfamiliar to newer readers. I found this book interesting because of the very distinct voices used for the two main characters, with each author taking a different Will Grayson and making him their own. This was also one of the first books that was ever advertised to me with a queer protagonist. While perhaps a little outdated compared to the representation you can find in today's media, I still recommend giving Will Grayson Will Grayson a read. Next, we have Frog by Mary Combs. This is a romance short novel with a character or characters who are gay. Trigger warnings include family death. Weber Yeats's dream of being a bull rider has crumbled away, and the man now wishes to just find a place to work and see another day. A man that knows his mind, he has never really questioned or doubted his place in the world, unless it concerns the very handsome doctor Cyrus Benning. The good doctor has a way of messing with Weber's head and making him dream of a home and a family that will never be within his reach, or will it? A couple things I want to get out of the way about this author and this book. First, I am obsessed with the author and her writing style, while acknowledging that it's not the greatest in the world, which is my way of saying you will be hearing much more from her. Second, this book is very short and sweet, so will be a quick read, but an enjoyable one. As stated, I love all this author's books, but this is by far one of my favorites. I love books that are just utterly entrenched with romance, and this suits that craving more than other books I've read. Another of my favorite tropes is they both love each other but are also kind of dumb. If you love Harlequin romance type situations, such as the one I've described above, please pick up Frog by Mary Combs. We've also got Hero by Perry Moore. This is a YA supernatural fantasy with a character or characters who are gay. Trigger warnings include homophobia and death. Tom Creed has a habit of keeping secrets from his ex-superhero dad. First is that he might also have superpowers. Second is that he might have been asked to join the League, the same group of superheroes who spurned his father. Third, he's also gay. Just another teen boy story, am I right? This book was a little light on the gay for me personally. If you're someone who's reading more for the action or suspense, which this book has quite a bit of, then you will love this story. Lots of crime fighting, nefarious plots, bad guys, and saving the world. Might be a good read for any of our listeners who are a Marvel fan. That said, it was interesting the way Moore makes Tom's sexuality both the main plot and also the side plot. While Tom's struggle with his sexuality and a parent who might not accept him is a large plot point, there are also other challenges Tom faces. Moore also includes a wonderful cast of characters that are just as interesting as Tom with their own backstories for you to love. 
All this with lots of action and drama and some tears added. To read more of Tom's superhero adventures, read Hero by Perry Moore. And that's all for this installment of Homotextuals. For those of you who are just tuning in, never fear. The books mentioned today were Will Grayson Will Grayson by John Green and David Leviathan, Frog by Mary Combs, and Hero by Perry Moore. As always, all books are available at the Edmonton Public Library or your local bookstore. If you have any suggestions for book recommendations, please email gaywire at cgsr.com. In the meantime, keep it breezy. Thanks, Chenille. And with that, we are out of time for our episode. Please remember to donate to the Community Fridge. It's located outside of Earth's General Store. Additionally, Q really needs a new wheelchair. If you can spare a dollar or two, head on over to their Instagram at Q just the letter to donate if you so choose. Thank you so much for listening. Today's show was produced by Shane Giles, Ash Halinda, Artemis Peasley, Chenille Ranasinga, Jean-Viev Asselin, Jao Victor Krieger, and myself, Terrence Adams. Gaywire is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory and in Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta. We recognize that colonialism is ongoing and violent and encourage you to reflect on your relationship and to reflect on what accountability looks like for you, your communities, and the wider social structures we reside within. You can follow us wherever you download your podcasts by searching for Gaywire CJSR, and you can find us online at gaywire.transistor.fm. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Gaywire, and you can find us on Instagram or TikTok at Gaywire CJSR. You can email us if you're feeling very fancy. Our email is gaywire at cjsr.com, and you never know, you just might get to be a part of the show. Our artwork is by Travis Erickson, original music by Doug Hoyer and Catherine Hiltz. Stay tuned next for the realization that you're a real person existing in a real world, no matter how surreal that world may feel. Until next week, keep it breezy, and please stay on the line. Thank you.